Hello, and welcome to Tech Champagne, a wealth expansion podcast designed to help you turn simple ideas into major impact and big revenue. I'm Elisa Purdy, and I've spent the last 13 years helping women entrepreneurs build six and seven figure businesses with simple systems and automation. I'm here to guide you and give you my exact strategies for money, marketing, and automated business growth so you can create the life and business you truly desire. The income level you really want is well within your reach. Let's do this together. Hello, and welcome back to Tech Champagne. My name is Elisa Purdy, and I am your host. And I'm here today with a very dear friend, someone I've known for many years, who is an integral part of my business and also for my clients' businesses. Welcome, Natalie Puglisi. Hi, Natalie. Hi, thank you for having me. This is actually the first time that I've heard you introduce yourself with your married last name. <laughs> I know, I forget sometimes. I, forget, I know, I'm still doing the rebranding and all that, but yeah, I forget sometimes. It's pretty funny. <laughs> so Natalie is an attorney for online business owners, and we go way back to uh, old school days of amateur bodybuilding, and we had a great time. And since then, actually, I'm going to let you tell the story of how your business started. This is your second time on the podcast. You were my very first podcast guest, and I was so nervous, but I think it would be great just to revisit that. That's so funny. I didn't even know that you were nervous that first time. Like, you seemed so seasoned. Oh, so Yeah. Let's see. How did I get here from our bodybuilding days? And you know what? In all honesty, that was such a really good warm-up for us for becoming business owners, right? (laughs) <laughs> the discipline, the determination, the discipline. Right? Oh gosh, yeah. Um, I graduated law school and passed the bar exam. And at the time, I was working as a law clerk for a bankruptcy firm locally here in Santa Barbara, and I loved it. Which is really funny to say because most people think that's a strange area of law to to really enjoy. But for me, I really got to enjoy the reaction with my clients once they filed for bankruptcy. They completed their bankruptcy cases. They were relieved. They could sleep at night. They could spend time with their children. They they took a lot of worry out of them. And that's really what I fell in love with that area of law. And at one point, the two it was a really small firm. And the business partners came to me and they were like, so we're going to prepare for retirement. You're out, basically. And I really had no idea what to do. At that point, I started to apply to other jobs at other firms. And Jennifer was a pretty small local bar and there wasn't any firms locally. And I did get some jobs from out of town, but I was forced to start my own business, to start my own firm. And I really had no idea what I was doing. (laughs) I think most people think that when you graduate from law school, like I, I get so many clients or not clients, so many friends that were like, so I was speeding the other day and I didn't technically go, but I'm like, I don't do that area of law. <laughs> not, um, it. <laughs> not it, exactly. So I think contrary to what most people think, law school doesn't teach you every area of law. It's just too extensive. It's like going to medical school and trying to learn, right? We specialize in things. So I had no idea how to start my own business from a legal perspective. I didn't know if I needed a website. I didn't know if I needed to, to be a PC or an LLC or a corp or an S corp or a C-Corp or a business license. I literally knew nothing. And I was scared. (laughs) It was at that time that I started to go back to the local library, law library, do a bunch of research, 
speak to other attorneys that own their own firms that were friends of mine. And I ended up just figuring it all out, which is what we do in business, right? You eventually figure it all out. And then I met my husband, like, God, maybe a couple, two, three weeks into starting my own firm. And he's a serial entrepreneur. And we would find that a lot of people would take us out to dinner to pick our brains. And it was really wonderful for them because they got the entrepreneurial questions answered from him. His brain is so right being creative. He could just he'll come up with business names and ideas. And, and then they would ask me all the legal things. And then it really dawned on me that there really wasn't any resources out there to help support business owners that are starting out from a legal perspective. There was nothing out there to tell people where to start and nothing out there that was affordable, right? Attorneys are so intimidating in terms of, oh God, I don't want to pay an attorney $20,000 to help me set up my business. And that kind of birthed what I'm doing now. I ended up working with a lot of online entrepreneurs, your wonderful clients. And during the height of COVID, everybody started an online business Mm -hmm. and my business kind of took off from there. So it's been really wonderful and it's been a really amazing journey. When I got to a point in my business where I knew it was going to branch from being a brick and mortar into the online space, I hired you to help me figure that out because I think the most important lesson to to learn from starting your own business, regardless of what business that is, is to hire the experts when you don't know what you're doing. You save so much time. I mean, you helped me build my website. You helped me put together my offerings. It was, I mean, I owe you a lot in terms of setting that up. Thank you. And I think people just tend to fly off the cuff and not think about that part of it. But really, it's important to know what you know and where your strengths are and to save and hire the experts in all the other areas that you need support in. So, yeah, I, I remember the day we had a meeting and we known each other for a lot of years. And I, we sat down and I was like, okay, where do you want to go next? Let's talk about possible offers for you because there's a lot that we could be doing in our businesses. And I remember telling you, there's someone I know who's an attorney and she does templates for online business owners. And you just lit up and you're like, yeah, that's the direction that we're going to start in. And so that's what you've been doing for me and my clients for years is it's part of my onboarding. You're going to work with me. You're going to go to Natalie and get your legal forms for your website and your one-on-one contact for your clients. And yeah, it's just become this really beautiful like workflow. And I, I love it. And you take such good care of your clients. Such good care. Thank you. I appreciate you. Thank you. Yeah. I I was thinking about that today. I don't know what I was thinking about that made me like fall into that, but I, oh, I know what I was thinking of. I just got a client who is, she's a big deal. She's got a huge following on social media. She is a public personality. And I, when I interviewed with her, when we had our consultation, I was a little intimidated because I was like, what is this? I was like, in my mind, I'm like, she's probably just trying to get information from me. Because <laughs> I'm like, she's way too smart and savvy to hire. It's the imposter syndrome, right? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, she ended up hiring me to file for a trademark. And I thought to myself, I was, she hired me yesterday. And I was thinking about it today. And I'm like, I, she could have hired any firm. She has the resources for it. Mm-hmm. But I think, that, and one of the things that she said in our call is, that it is that she wanted to hire some a firm or an attorney that was going to be 
she would feel like a big fish in a small pond mm-hmm. rather than one of like countless. She's sure attorneys are doing this over in big firms, but that's not what she wanted. And yeah, so I appreciate you saying that because yeah. it, it seems to be the theme the last couple of days. So. <laughs> yeah, you make it really easy. And I know we're going we're gonna to switch gears here in a second, but the templates for the website, the legal forms are really the deal. And you have them packaged in a way that your clients can really understand and just fill in the blanks. So you buy these templates from Natalie, you fill in your business name, your emails, things like that. It goes on your website. It's really important to have or else people can get signs, as I know you've shared many times. Yep. And they're affordable. That's my favorite part. <laughs> they are. I know. You're you're absolutely right. People think of having an attorney like they can't afford it. It's too much. I'm not big enough. My business is brand new. And so you really bridge that gap for people, which is fantastic. Empowering women. That's what we're doing here. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> okay. So let's talk about, let's switch gears here and talk about trademarks because this is always such a hot topic for people. You and I have gone down this road together. And I know that you file for trademarks and help a lot of people trademark their business names, course names, podcast names, all of it. So what does that look like? Or when should people file for a trademark? Yeah. First and foremost, I think we should tell people what a trademark is because people get trademarks and copyrights confused all the time. Mm. And if you guys follow me on Instagram already, you probably already know the answer because I give out a ton of free, valuable information. But Trademarks protect any name in your business or slogan or catchphrase. So it'd be business name, podcast name, course name, program name, product name. And then a copyright is going to protect any original work of art. So artwork, music, video, blog, literature, anything like that. And I always get that question. When do I know when it's right to file for a trademark? And most attorneys are going to tell you to do it right away, right? Because you're going to secure that name which that is good advice. I'm not going to knock that advice. (laughs) However, I always tell people because I I like to pride myself on not being a used car salesman kind of attorney. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I don't want to force people into doing something they're not ready to do. So what I tell people is it's about your energetics behind the name. If you feel like you really love it, it's going to stick in your business. It's going to stay there. Then that's really the time to consider filing for a trademark. Um, you do save a lot of time when you're doing it ahead of time because if someone else has the name, you're not wasting time rebranding, right? If you hit a year into using the name and then all of a sudden you have to rebrand, there's that. But yeah, I would say when when you energetically feel like this is it, I love this name. That's great advice. And it's not always guaranteed. I filed for a trademark or you filed for a trademark for me. The trademark tech champagne, the name of this podcast. And it did not get approved, sad face. <laughs> it did not get approved. The decision, well, actually, maybe we should back up a little bit. So what happens when someone works with you and you file for a trademark? What are the next, what happens next? Yeah, so the first step is, do we have a conversation, which actually just happens on a questionnaire. And I have my clients like brain dump. Tell me what the name is, what you envision, like every use possibly in the future that you want to use this name for. And they just like pipe dream everything. And then the next step is I run a thorough trademark search. Now, I get a lot of clients that come to me and they're like, I looked up the name and no one's using it and we're good. So just file the application. But I never do that. I still will do my own thorough trademark search because most of the time 
when a client is looking to use a name, they go on the US Patent and Trademark Office website or they go into Google and they type in the exact name that they want to use. The problem with that, which is going to lead to what your trademark that we're going to talk about, is that you can be prevented from getting a trademark if you're using not only the exact name, but something substantially similar so as to cause confusion. That's the subjective test, which again, we'll talk about. But that is the first step that I do with my client is run that thorough trademark search, take a look at what pops up and see if the name is even eligible. Awesome. So then if it is eligible, what happens next? So then we discuss the classes or categories to file in. A lot of people don't realize that you can have multiple trademarked names in different classes or categories because there's not going to be confusion there. So the the example that I always give is Colgate. When I say Colgate, most people think of Colgate toothpaste, but there's also a Colgate mattress company that's out there. I'm not going to walk into a mattress store and ask for Colgate and expect someone to hand me a tube of toothpaste. So there's no <laughs> brand confusion. So we talk about the possible classes or categories, and sometimes there's some strategy there because something comes up in the search that would make it more likely to pass if we filed in this category instead of this one, vice versa. And then after that, I prepare and file the application. And then we just sit in a virtual holding pattern for eight months and nothing <laughs> happens. Eight glorious months. And most of that, I would say, I don't know, I'm, I'm guessing, but I think probably a, a large percentage get approved and without a hitch. Is that, would you agree with that? No, actually, oh. I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then I feel better. <laughs> so majority of the time, uh, not that it doesn't happen. It does happen. But you think about how many possible trademarks could be out there, hundreds of thousands, maybe. I mean, who knows what that database looks like? The chances of you having an incredibly unique name is probably, I don't know, maybe it's 50-50. I don't know. But there's also things called office actions, which are just things that are brought to your attention that needs to be fixed in your trademark application. And so what happens is that the eight-month market gets assigned to an examining attorney that takes a look at the application. He looks, he or she looks at a number of different things. Is it eligible for trademark? Is there any other trademarks out there that you'd be infringing on it? There's literally a whole checklist they probably go through. And sometimes they come back with the in-office action and say, you, and it could be something simple, like your client provided you a virtual address and they actually need to have a physical address. It could be something like you need a disclaimer, meaning you have a word that's relatively common that you have to say, I'm not actually trying to trademark this particular name. It could be like a number of things. I've had clients that had trademarks in a completely different name that they had with another attorney. They didn't tell me. Now I have to file a specific form to say that they own that trademark. It does conflict, but it's okay because we're the same owner. So majority of the time it doesn't go off without a hitch, but that's why you hire an attorney because you wouldn't necessarily know that unless it's like a red flag. I just do the office action. I respond to it and not really say anything to my clients about it because I just handle it and take care of it. Which is such a, a valuable service to have because I, I know for me, just looking at the little communication I've seen about the trademark, it's stressful because I'm trying to interpret it. I, I'm not an attorney. And so then I just emailed you like, hey, Natalie, can you help me? Without having you there as that partner in in this, I, it would be very stressful. Yeah. It's stressful for me sometimes too when we get a response like we did with your application. <laughs> like, uh, 
Okay. Shall we share a little bit about what happened? I don't, I'm not going to mention the other trademark because I probably am not allowed to. <laughs> I don't know. But we filed for a trademark for Tech Champagne. You filed, you did the search and filed it. And it was not approved because there is someone who's also in the coaching space who owns a trademark for a name that contains the word champagne, but it's not tech champagne. There's no tech in it, but it's also in the coaching space and creating community for women. And so I can see the parallels there. So when that's the decision, first of all, what, what was your, is that something you've seen before that a little bit of ambiguity? Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of times I have clients where I find something in the trademark search and I'm like, this could probably be a problem. And I have some clients that are like, I'm good. I'll just change the name. No big deal. And then I have other clients that are like, let's do it. Let's see what happens. Because like I said, that test is subjective. It's the trademark attorney, the examining attorney that takes a look at it. And it's really their interpretation of whether that name conflicts with the other name. Now, sometimes it's obvious. So if you have Colgate and Colgate, that's Mm -hmm. super obvious, but sometimes it's not so obvious. And sometimes I've seen like one word use Lena and the other word use moon, right? And they, they cite that as a likelihood of confusion. So it really just depends. With yours, I was actually very disappointed and shocked because although I could see where their argument came from, for me, it didn't cause a confusion. But which is why we filed a response. I don't normally file a response because sometimes stuff comes back and I'm like, they got you there. Yeah. Yeah. But, but with yours, we did file a response because I don't feel like it was incredibly, uh, there's an argument there at least, but this would mean that the examining attorney would have to say they're wrong in order to grant us our response (laughs) and move forward with the applications. Not that it hasn't been done before. And I have had clients that filed responses for that were granted, but it's another hurdle. So sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm a little shocked and sometimes I'm not. I guess it just depends on, on what the name is and how it comes back. Yeah. And so, so now the update is we're just in a holding pattern because you have filed that response for me, which is invaluable. I, I could never navigate this process by myself. There's, there's just no way. Um, so now we wait and <laughs> we wait and see. So the name of this podcast might be changing. I don't know. It's obviously it's not ideal. I, I love it, but I also don't want to be in violation of someone's trademark because let's talk about that next. What happens when you are using, when you're in violation of someone's trademark, what are the actions they can take? So usually when we get a likelihood of confusion citing for a trademark application that I filed with the client, my response to them is you have to change your name because now there's a determination that says that you're violating somebody's trademark. And what I always tell my clients whenever we do a trademark consultation is, yes, it is disappointing when you get a likelihood of confusion determination, but it's not money. It's still money well spent Mm -hmm. because now you have a deciding factor for sure. So about three or so years ago, the Supreme Court during COVID they heard a trademark case and they changed trademark law. It used to be that you couldn't be sued for trademark infringement if you didn't know you were infringing on someone's trademark. But what ended up happening is that all of these companies were really going through hoops and doing the right thing by going through the trademark process. And then they would sue someone that was using either their name or something substantially similar. And they would go to court and then the defendant would go, I had no idea. And then the judge would go, okay, they had no idea, move along. And these poor business owners that were really doing the right thing and 
upholding their duty to, to do their searches and file for their trademarks were getting, it was like, what's the point of having a trademark if I can't actually defend it? Right. So they changed the law. Now you can be sued and or have a demand for damages if you're using a name that's violating someone's trademark and you had no idea either that trademark existed or that you're violating it. Mm. So when you get a likelihood of confusion determination, I always tell my clients, it's like a ten dollars to $20,000 value there because this other person could come to you at any point in time and just say, you've been using our name. Here's a demand for $10,000. And you do owe it. A lot of people go, I'll just change it. Thank you. I'll just change it. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. Yeah, that's a big deal. That is a big deal. So hire Natalie. Do the trademarks. Do it right. We don't want to see people getting sued for tens of thousands of dollars. That is a really big deal. Would you recommend that people trademark their own names when they start online businesses? Because so many of us just use our our names as coaching business name. It depends on what your name is. (laughs) That's fair. If you're like like Jennifer Smith, how likely is it to have another (laughs) Jennifer Smith out there? Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's my answer. It just depends on, you know, what your name is and if someone else is using something that's similar to that. I always tell my clients and whenever I do a trademark consultation, I always tell them, you can run your own trademark searches and there's an art to it. I shouldn't say that like you're going to find the same things that I do. And I do have a trademark search masterclass where I teach you the exact methodologies that I do. But if you search through Google for your name, I don't know, Natalie Puglisi coaching, and there is another random like Nat Puglisi out there, you don't need to hire an attorney to tell you you can't use that name. Right. So it depends. Obviously, if you file for a trademark and you do trademark your own name, then it protects you. But if you have some super obscure, very unique name that the chances of anyone else having are like next to nothing, I think you're probably okay. <laughs> you probably be good. Let's talk about your masterclass. I have that on my list for today. I see it on your Instagram. Is this a live event that's coming up? Yeah. And it's live. It's going to be live on Friday. Perfect. And I think this is the last time I'm going to do it live, which is really valuable for people that are attending live right now because they can ask me questions about their search results or whatever they find. But it is literally the exact methodology that I use when I do a thorough trademark search. So I tell you how to do it, where to look, what your results can reveal and how to interpret those results. You get a workbook and it's really valuable because anytime anyone is naming anything in their business, whether it's again, business name, course name, product name, you should be doing this step in that process. A lot of people, when they are, we did this when we worked together, like we have, it's a checklist, right? It's okay. You're going to be launching or you're going to be creating. You need a landing page. You need a checkout page. You need to integrate your invoicing, right? Like you have a checklist. This should be on people's checklist. This should be one of the first things that they do is make sure that they're not violating someone's trademark or there's not another name out there that's substantially similar. Because if there is, then you're just going to have to rebrand it, Mm -hmm. which we talked about you switching all of the stuff to your Mary's name. You're essentially doing a rebrand. I am. I'm rebranding myself. (laughs) (laughs) It is a version. It's a a long process. Yeah, I I agree. That's you want to avoid that altogether. And I think there's, you know, we look at courses and stuff that's that are coming up on Instagram, whatever. There's so many courses with the same name. There's so many. And I've seen people get really upset about that, but then they don't own the trademark. I've seen conversations happen where people get really heated 
and neither one of them own the trademark. So that would be a great way to solve the problem. Yeah. And the other thing too is that having the trademark prevents brand dilution or brand confusion. Mm -hmm. So it really is that. Like a lot of times you think of a course and you're like, oh, it's brilliant. I love this name. And then you go out there and someone else has it. If you have five, six, seven courses that have either the same name or something similar, how are you going to stand out? How are you going to tell your clients or potential clients, sign up for my course. This is what it's called. And they're like, in the middle of the night, you have this brilliant idea. Oh, I want to work with this coach. And what was the name of her program? And then they look up and there's five different ones, right? Like the whole point of having a trademark is to prevent that so that you have some distinction there. Yeah. I love that. And we'll put a link um, for your masterclass in the show notes so that people can get the info on that, either live or recorded or however you run that later. I think it's really important that uh, we get that out into the world, into the wild. Thank Uh, you. (laughs) Yeah, of course. I know I keep seeing it on Instagram. Um, Is Instagram the best place to find you online? Is that where you're hanging out most these days? Yeah, Instagram's the best place. It's just my name and Natalie Cook BC. And... Like I said, I don't do a lot of like, you won't see a ton of photos of like my family and stuff up there. Like I don't do a lot of fluff stuff. Mm-hmm. Everything's like pretty highly valuable, a lot of, yeah, just valuable content. So you can get a lot of tips, tricks and things. If you have some initial questions about stuff, I really try to be good about giving that out and not having to pay an attorney to answer these questions, right? Just put that on there on Instagram and yeah, that's where it, that's I, I live in there. Yeah, actually, <laughs> me too. But your Instagram is an excellent resource of information for sure. Yeah, no. there's no plus there at all, none. And you do yes, reels all the time and stories, like you're super active on it. So there's just really good info always coming out there. So I appreciate that. Thank you. You're welcome. Hi, dear. Is there anything else you would like to add? I don't know. (laughs) I think the most important thing, though, when people are thinking about their trademarks, Mm -hmm. um, I know that we talked about the timing of it, but not to be intimidated by the whole process. It is a very long process. But when you do either way, if you receive your trademark or you get a rejection for your trademark, there is value there regardless. And I think a large part of the time people don't realize that having your trademarks in your business gives you monetary value. And that's really important. And then it gives you some distinction, right? We're all trying to stand out in the sea of coaches, online business attorneys, like online entrepreneurs in general. And that's really one thing that can help you stand out there. That's a great point. And then it adds to the value of your business if you ever go to sell to someone else. Absolutely. Yeah, I have a client. I I filed two trademarks for her and she just sold her company and that that was value there because no one else can name the company which she named it. So I love it. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Natalie. This has been such a great conversation. I'm excited to put it out so people can learn more about trademarks, when to do it, how to do it, and why to do it. It's a big deal. <laughs> well, thanks for having me. So good to see you even virtually. I, I know. <laughs> we will see each other in real life. I promise not. Yes, thanks so much, Natalie. I really enjoyed this. Thank you for having me. And thanks for your time. I know you're a busy mom of two. So I know you have a lot. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. They're busy. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Tech Champagne. And I will see you next week. Bye. Thank you for spending your time with me today. I hope this episode brought you exactly what you needed. 
If you had fun today, be sure to hit the subscribe button or leave me a review. Your support means the world to me and it helps other women entrepreneurs find the show as well. And if you're looking for a free place to connect and learn more about creating your own six-figure online business, check out my Facebook group, Empowered Entrepreneurs. See you on the next episode.